economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to the show today. I'm Nate Johnson, the producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. Today on our show, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We also have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. And finally, Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research. Okay, so today, uh, Dr. Clark told me about the Lindy effect, but that's all he told me was the Lindy effect. And my only thought was, I know what a Lindy rig is for fishing for walleye, but I do not know what the Lindy effect is. So, Justin, what are you thinking about? Uh, great. So, um, there's this concept, the Lindy effect, and it's actually gotten a, a little bit of press recently. Um, it's a little popular on Twitter, and like the New York Times came out with an article about one of the people who's made it popular on Twitter. And the idea of the Lindy effect, roughly, is that for some items, um, the length of its survival so far um, is indicative that it will last a lot longer. So a good example of this is something like Broadway shows. Um, if a Broadway show has been produced for 20 years, um, that's actually evidence that it's going to continue for a lot longer. Um, so these are non-perishable items. Um, and uh, it's interesting because it, this concept actually gets applied to ideas um, too, and also social practices. Uh, so in the New York Times article, the guy's name is Paul Scalas. He tweets under the name Lindy Man. He gives the example of uh, like mouthwash. And he says, mouthwash is not Lindy. Uh, mouthwash is recent. Um, and he's skeptical of the benefits uh, of uncritically accepting these things. And then he says, and actually, if you look, uh, you know, everyone tells you to use mouthwash. It's got this you know, your breath smells clean. And then, uh, but if you look at the actual studies, it, it actually kills good and bad bacteria. And there's a st statistically significant increase of cancer uh, uh, in mouthwash users. And, you know, we, hmm, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure why that is, but uh, it, that actually is um, an empirical result. Um, so one of the, th uh, the idea behind the Lindy effect is that there are a lot of practices that maybe we don't understand or have a rational argument for why we do them, but the fact that we have been doing them for such a long time is itself evidence that we ought to continue to do them. Um, and so um, you can think of things like uh, marriage is extremely Lindy, right? Um, mono, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, like, because we as a species have been, you know, pairwise sorting for a very long time. Uh, you can often find people who say things like, well, uh, you know, it's just not rational for you to be committed to the same person for so long. We, we all have these individual needs or whatever. Um, and the, the Lindy argument against that is, look, I don't need an argument, you know, from statistical science about why uh, uh, pairwise bonding works better in humans or whatever, uh, that it is a tradition is itself, uh, at first blush, evidence that we uh, ought to continue to do it. 
So um, my first thought on your mouthwash theory is that maybe they're getting cancer from the thing they're trying to wash out of their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just said uh, that was the first thing that came to mind for the uh, positive correlation with mouthwash and uh, cancer there. But um, so it sounds like uh, if it ain't broken, don't fix it type of thing a little bit, right? If it's, if it's been working, that's at least some real evidence. Is yes. the idea of it. Yeah. And I think you can look back at, you know, the way you know, these people often look to like the, what they call the ancients, you know, the Greeks and the Romans and the way, you know, the way they ate and the way they um, ordered their day and lived. Right. And uh, it's just a necessary truth that a lot of the practices that we as humans um, inherit those weren't discovered by rational testing or argument. Um, they were handed down by culture. And also, if you think about it, necessarily, it's also cultural practices that work that get handed down. Yeah, so I, I want to jump in here because there's two ideas in economics that I think are very closely related to this. Uh, and they actually, I think, demonstrate both the right way to think about this and the wrong way to think about this. Uh, the first is what's called path dependence. Uh, there's an idea in economics called path dependence that maybe some countries' developments are path dependent, or maybe you have a certain culture or custom that's path dependent. In other words, it's a, a custom that because it's been done before, it has some sort of inertia and it will continue to be in the future. Most economists have a bad opinion of path dependence, that path dependence is based on like irrationality and there's, you know, some sort of mistake being made that causes you to do the same thing just for the sake of doing the same thing. Uh, and, you know, the, the logic behind why this would be bad is, you know, think of like uh, in economics, we have the law of demands. The law of demand says that if the price of something goes up, that you should want a lower quantity of that thing. So if the price of a good goes up, you should want to buy less of it. There's no room for path dependence in that law, right? Uh, when the price changes, you don't just stick to something because you did it before. That would be irrational. But I'm, I've always been skeptical of path dependence. I actually don't think the concept exists as it's stated there. That is, people don't just do things because they've done things before. I think that a more realistic way of describing what's going on here is something like spontaneous order. And so spontaneous order uh, is the idea that certain things arise that are the result of human action, but not of human design. And so I think, you know, these cultural institutions like marriage, you know, it's not as if one person sat down and thought, I'm going to make the perfect system for people to have families and to continue human genes and to have like, you know, successful long-term uh, dynasties and things like that. That never happened. Uh, you know, it was just an evolution of culture over years and years and years and years. Uh, and as a result, uh, the institution that worked out amongst all the different institutions uh, seems like, for the most part, you know, like monogamous, stable, long-term relationships, something like that. Um, and so that's a, an example of spontaneous order. Language is an example of a spontaneous order. No one designed our language. And a lot of times people are bothered by spontaneous orders because they think, well, if we planned it differently, we could make it more efficient. Uh, like the classic example is the QWERTY keyboard. It's like, oh, the QWERTY keyboard was, you know, just kind of assembled spontaneously. There's no planner. And people have come up with alternative, like, arrangements of the keyboard to make it more efficient. But these arrangements always fail. Uh, designed languages that are supposed to be more efficient and easy for everyone to learn, uh, they've never taken off. 
there's something valuable about spontaneous order. And I think as Justin just uh, limited it at the, at the end there, there's like a cultural evolution thing that goes on here that cultures that don't self-propagate and last over time die out and cultures that succeed or traditions that succeed in sort of leading to a, a person's successful life and propagation, all this stuff continue. And uh, F.A. Hayek talks about this in his book, The Fatal Conceit. And so I, I, that's what I take this to, to be is the debate between, you know, <clears throat> is this thing just path dependent or is there a reason for the path dependence? Yeah, I think uh, to build on that, the knowledge problem that Hayek brings up is what spontaneous order is all about and that there are solutions to things that come about organically and naturally that that's what the idea of the spontaneous order that us human beings and our interactions are so complicated that there's going to naturally emerge some things. And I think this Lindy effect sounds like it's, it's evidence of that happening, that when we see something that's been going on for a long time, it's because we're witnessing what no single mind planned, but rather um, kind of a, a group ordering that um, was unplanned, but is working. Yeah. And you kind of steal the, <clears throat> the wisdom of like, you know, thousands of generations when you grab onto a, tra a tradition that's thousands of generations old, as opposed to, and this is what I took the mouthwash point to be, as opposed to mouthwash, which is not thousands of years old. And so when you grab onto it, the thing that you're grabbing onto might be backed by certain other, you know, whether it's a scientific study or, you know, a uh, few other people's purchasing patterns it's not backed by the same uh, same source of longevity that backs something like marriage or something like that. Yeah. Um, two other examples that come to mind other than mouthwash to me are uh, um, DDT and um, um, artificial breast milk. Um, because um, if you look at uh, like footage of the way DDT was used in the 50s, um, and you can Google this, I mean, they're <laughs> hosing kids down yeah, with DDT. Smoke, it was yeah, considered uh, this absolute uh, miracle um, drug, <laughs> and then they put it on everything. Now, I think DDT has been demonized, um, and it's a really effective treatment of malaria, but if you go back and look at the footage, it's very, very hard to come away without thinking, well, they might've been overusing it a little bit, right? Um, <laughs> And the, uh, the other example is, uh, you know, formula for artificial breast milk, um, which was pushed very, very heavily, especially in Africa in um, the mid to late 20th century. And what that resulted in, you know, oh, it's formula. We scientifically designed this as all the nut nutrients you need and none that you don't. And what happened is that a bunch of children uh, died because um, it turns out that it's very hard to get clean drinking water in Africa. And so these children were dying because they get uh, waterborne illnesses. Now, uh, one thing that a lactating mother is, is a very effective water filter, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so this immediate uh, trying to glom on to whatever's new and something must be great because it's new. Uh, the Lindy effect, the, the, Lindy, uh, the Lindy way of life uh, says the opposite. It says, uh, be a little skeptical of new things. It doesn't mean you don't have to use them or whatever, but um, you should have instead the opposite view that uh, we should be wary of letting go of practices that are old. And um, a practice's age 
is an argument for the practice itself. Um, I'm struggling a little bit with the Broadway show um, part um, that they, the Broadway show has been going for 20 years and, and the Lindy effect says it'll continue to go on. That seems fundamentally different than some of the other things we're talking about, but maybe just rehash that real quick again, or did I miss something? No, uh, so you can apply it to a bunch of different things. Um, it, these things have to be non-perishable, right? Uh, you, you wouldn't say like, well, you know, my grandpa's been yeah. alive for 87 years, so he'll probably live 87 more years, <laughs> right? Um, right? But um, if a Broadway show has been in production for 20 years, let's say uh, it's, I don't know, uh, I'm showing my lack of <clears throat> uh, refinement. Uh, you know, hair is probably still going. All that right? jazz, or yeah. I, mean, I don't know if that's still going. Or Wicked might be close. To Wicked's probably years. close Wicked, to right? that run. Um, since Wicked has been going on for X amount of years, that's evidence that it will go on further. Uh, yeah. Whereas if a Broadway show comes out this year, um, sure, you would have much less. Okay, so the probability of it extending might another year would be higher for Wicked than it would be maybe some new show. Yeah, and I, I, think, I mean, I'm trying to quantify this maybe too much, but well, I, I, I'm I, thinking it's just says it's a good show. Yeah, if I, it's been around. It, for 20 so years. I think that's it. Is it's not um, it, the the Lindy effect is capturing something else. The thing that it's capturing is the fact that people, if they make a decision multiple times in a row, sort of like a rational expectations thing, you can fool some of the people, some of the time, or mm -hmm. all the people, some of the time, some of them, all, some of the people all the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. Um, I think that's what the Lindy effect captures is that if Wicked ever got taken off Broadway, my expectation was that there would be that there was some major change. Uh, that is like, you would have to change the underlying like framework of society in a certain way to make something that's lasted a really long time to disappear. And I, I, I mean, like a major way. So like, Maybe if we found out that the creator of Wicked, you know, was a serial child murderer or something like that, you know, I would expect that'd be something that could maybe get Wicked pulled off as a Broadway play, right? But the point is that, like, the thing that causes the change has to be major, and I think it has to be more major the longer something's been around. That makes sense to me. Yeah, so I just want to be clear. The Lindy effect is a heuristic, right? It's not yeah. a law. So... The heuristic is going to, when it works, um, work because of some other effect that it's uh, right. capturing. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, it's, yeah. It's, ca it's capturing it's a, an underlying logic that makes sense, that a lot of things would have to change for that logic to no longer make sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the breast milk didn't, the breast milk deaths or whatever, um, you know, breast milk doesn't work because it's Lindy, right? Um, it's Lindy because it works. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 All right. Well, that looks like a good spot to uh, take our break. When we come back, I want to discuss the 80-20 rule as it applies to maybe people behaving in certain ways that may or may not support uh, the Lindy effect. So we'll pick it up in just a bit. By 2030, the Gordney Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economic understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. The Institute will be nationally recognized source for knowledge and contributions to students' experience. Society's understanding of private and public solutions to poverty and overlap of markets, governance, and faith. Young audiences will look to the Institute for challenging and engaging education on faith and economics. The Gordon Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith and economics in action. 
We have uh, college credit now available for high school students where you'll learn some microeconomics and get some college credit at the same time. These credits are transferable to any university that you go, but we hope that you'll consider Ottawa University as a great place to go for your college experience. If you or someone you know is looking for a college like that, contact Peter or Justin or Russ today. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you use iTunes, please consider giving us a five-star review. It helps other people find us. We'd like to do a mailbag episode, so please send your questions to info at gortneyinstitute.org. Okay, welcome back. Um, so the Lindy effect, uh, I mentioned the 80-20 rule. So this is uh, the Pareto principle um, where uh, you've got 80% of people doing it one way and 20% doing it uh, a different way is, is kind of a, again, a heuristic rule of thumb. And when Peter was talking, I thought there's a certain amount of folks that whatever they've done before is what they're going to do today. And whatever they did today is what they're going to do tomorrow. I, I think that's probably the 80% of the crowd. And then you've got entrepreneurs and maybe some a uh, little more unusual uh, people that are willing to try new things, uh, take new paths. Um, and so that's, that would, I think, support the Lindy effect that um, if you have something that's working for 80% of the people, um, then it's going to persist and have some longevity. Uh, but it doesn't rule out entrepreneurship and other innovations that can kind of shock the system and, and change that path ultimately by thinking about the composition of people, maybe with the Pareto principle. So that's uh, what I was thinking there. Um, Nate, you had a question? Uh, yeah, I was just um, thinking during the break. Um, so being Lindy, the Lindy effect, right, Justin, is things that are sticking around and staying around for a long time. And if they stay around for a long time, then they, they're going to eventually stick around for longer, correct? In a way. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But there's, there's new innovations all the time and new things that are popping up left and right. So being Lindy, does that mean just like slowly integrating these new things instead of totally changing into all the new things? Correct. Cause there's new innovations that work and they pop up real quick is, is being Lindy just slowly integrating these instead of changing, like sticking most to the, the ways that work. Right. Uh, Yes. And I think you're also highlighting that there, um, the Lindy effect, and you know, I'm guilty of this, it's often used in two different ways. One is a descriptive way and one is a prescriptive way. Uh, the, so the descriptive um, version of the Lindy effect is just as a factual claim, things that have been around for a certain amount of time uh, are likely to be around um, longer as well, right? But as a prescriptive claim, and I think uh, it is that we ought to um, value things that have been around, uh, especially practices for a long time. And that's a different claim, right? Um, these, these are two different claims. Um, and uh, so the fact that innovations are happening all the time doesn't mean that you shouldn't um, you know, like innovation or whatever, but as a descriptive claim, it's going to say, most of those things probably aren't going to be around for the long haul. Uh, you should have more confidence that the things that have been around for a long time will be around longer. Um, so um, it's less of a, you know, it's not Luddite 
it's not being a Luddite, right? Um, it's not being against technology or anything like that. It's just kind of um, acknowledging that, um, you know, on the frontier uh, where new things are happening, um, that's not the place that you are going to find longevity usually. Right. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, right. it does. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's bring, uh, since this is the Faith and Economics podcast, um, religion seems to be staring us in the face. What, where does religion fit into this Lindy argument, Justin? Well, um, I think if you become convinced that there's something right about the Lindy effects heuristic, right? Um, you should ask yourself things like, well, what are these practices that have been around for a really long time? Um, uh, mutual trade is one, um, you know, mentorship is another, marriage, the, you know, the, um, the two-parent family is one. Uh, but if you look at uh, our, you know, cultural, social, and political institutions, um, our moral codes um, are, have been around for a long time, and those don't show too much variance. Um, by contrast, like our political institutions are uh, very, very young, right? Um, if you wanted to look at the kinds of institutions that are really Lindy, it would be religions. Uh, religions, I think, are our most uh, Lindy institutions that you can even think of. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, religions and religious practices, they usually aren't arrived at uh, by planning. Um, they evolve over time and practices get handed down. Um, and very often the, uh, the reason for a practice isn't uh, prudential in a way, right? It's, um, it's commanded. It is that uh, you do this practice because God demanded it or because it's the way of my people, that kind of thing. And that, that institution going back that long um, ought to be considered very windy. And if that's the case, um, then that's an argument against the kind of rationalist atheism that says, we can't, uh, look, this, these practices seem stupid. Uh, what's the point of doing this thing? And the argument is, well, the point is that we have been doing this for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this, and this kind of reflects the, the Hayekian view that there are aspects of our culture um, and uh, our institutions that may be doing work that we don't see being done. Um, right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, <clears throat> I thought of when with religion that it still allows uh, growth of new religions when those practices maybe slowly evolve or devolve. Uh, I'll throw my Lutheran uh, bite in here that the Catholic Church uh, maybe strayed from some of its original things and that's what Luther um, protested and brought, us, brought about the Protestant religion. Um, but the Catholic Church persisted, is my point. So after that, um, the Catholic Church did change some of those practices that they were doing, and, and uh, the Catholic Church persisted, as we know. And we now have other different types of faith um, around uh, centered on Christ uh, with Christianity. And so it's possible to have new ones uh, come out of the original. 
Yeah, I, I something on that. I what I find interesting is oftentimes when new ones come out, one of the first things that they do is like try to claim uh, some like originality, mm-hmm. or not like originality isn't they're new, but claim like the connection to the original church. And so you know, uh, if you talk to a, a Lutheran or a Methodist or a Presbyterian, they don't say well, our church started in the year, you know, 1600 or 1800 or 1900. Uh, they say, well, no, our church was the original church in the year zero. And then the church kind of went off the rails for a little bit while and came back. Uh, if you talk to a Catholic, of course, they say, no, we've had since Peter all the way forward. You know, everyone actually is trying to claim lindiness in religion, which is, is sort of interesting. Mm-hmm. There's, It's very rare that like a, a religion will admit to being like something that's a new revelation. The like closest example I can think of is like Mormonism, right? Where like, you know, uh, they actually claim like, hey, here's this new revelation, this new set of things we got. Yeah. But they still claim to build on the tradition. That's of Christianity, right. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not totally uh, independent. But my, my point is that like the even the admission of something new is very rare. Uh, and like Mormonism is one thing that I could say is like, oh, we had a new book. We got a, a new revelation, which was lost before. So that, there, there's a good point there that like even they're claiming that's a little bit like Lindy. I think Scientology would be my closest. Example. Yeah, Scientology is a good example, too. Uh, and it's interesting how oh, Ron Hubbard. A, lo- a lot of, uh, you know, economists, especially uh, economists who focus on religion, have have research programs dedicated to this, though. And they don't they don't use these words. But, uh, for example, one of my professors, Pete Leeson, he has a paper on gypsy law. He has a paper on curses, like uh, actual curses, cursing someone, not like curses <laughs> and, and swears. Uh, and he has a paper on vermin trials when the Catholic church used to put like vermin, uh, on trial and, uh, find them guilty or not guilty of causing mass damage and punish them. And he, he has papers on all these topics and he explains, I think rather well for each one. And I actually encourage the listeners, if you want to Google, like, you know, gypsy law, Peter Leeson, uh, the paper will come up. He's a very readable economist. You're not going to get it run into a ton of math with him. It's all verbal. Uh, but he he gives good explanations for why the sort of like weird different traditions that these uh, religions use are are beneficial in some way, uh, not necessarily like that they reflect some deeper moral truth, which he doesn't argue they don't. They still might, but also that there's like some function to them that's very valuable that the the organization or group probably couldn't do without. Uh, so you know you have that, but also wh- where I was going with this is you know you brought up Scientology. What's interesting is Scientology is a really weird new thing, but it steals a lot of the same practices as like other cults, right? Like the the focus on, you know, the in-group and, and telling secrets to the people in charge. I mean, it has a lot of like Lindy behaviors in the sense that a lot of cults have done the, the practices of Scientology for a long time. That's probably why it's somewhat successful, right? Is it's attached itself to these old ways of essentially keeping uh, very dependent people. Uh, and so there's a whole economics literature on cults and, you know, why it is if you have a very extreme religion centering on uh, like sort some off society things, why it would be the case that you would want to behave in a very extreme way. Uh, there, there's lots of papers on that as well. So I think that's really interesting. I think I can hear us being sued right now. <laughs> only Zenu will be able to save us. <laughs> Uh, you got to expand for me the vermin trial. I hadn't heard. Are we talking mice and stuff? Like yes. Type of vermin? Yeah. So uh, I, I I forget uh, if this was <laughs> happening in the United States or if it was just Europe. I can't remember. It's been a while since I read the paper. But yeah, the, the Catholic Church would put on trial like mice or locusts or things like that. And they would find them guilty or not guilty. 
Uh, like and, whether we could go out and mass kill them, maybe or something. Yeah, or, like like it, it can't know as if part of the no, 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 a, a, to... a specific mouse. Yeah. Oh, on, a specific on, mouse. on trial as a representative of all the vermin. <laughs> uh, and and what uh, Leeson finds is that uh, basically what this what this did uh, is because of how the trial was set up. There was a way that could cause you cause people to. This is actually a harder explanation for his his papers. One of the harder ones, but there's a way that the church was able to time the verdicts such that y- you should expect people to Bayesian update towards belief in the church and its ability to stop vermin from destroying crops. Mm. And so they timed the guilty verdicts in such a way that it matched up with the time that crops stopped being destroyed. Um. And so it vindicates like the church's power. Uh, so so they're, they're, it's really like interesting and it, it goes into the math a little bit, but you know, he tested and everything with the history of the trials and like the test pans out and everything. Huh. Uh, so, so an interesting little argument. I think it also probably just appeals to our base desire to kind of scapegoat and then collectively blame. Yeah. Uh, you know, it can bring the community together. Now we know who's responsible for this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. crop failure. It was, you know, uh, five yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but, but the, the point being is, I, I, you know, I, I'm very uh, predisposed to this argument because I tend to think of people as rational. And one thing that's true is if people are rational in general, we shouldn't expect them to do something wrong for a really long time. Uh, that just uh, is, is those two things don't work together. Yeah. Yeah. So Peter, you wanted to talk about other implications you were thinking about for the Lindy effect? Yeah, so I actually wanted to ask Justin if you think, so I, I don't like personally identify as like politically conservative. I, I don't think that that label matches me. Other people might identify me that way, but that's not how I, I personally identify. But I'm curious if you think that I could see this, you know, either, you know, uh, cultural conservatives or political conservatives saying, well, the Lindy effect is a vindication of conservatism to a certain extent. Do you buy that? Do you think that there's anything there or do you think that there's not? What's what's your take on it? Uh, Short answer is, yes, I buy it for some values of the word conservative. Yeah. Um, And uh, I I don't know what political policies you support off the top of my head. Uh, but I know that we agree about a lot of policies. And I think if pressed, I would say that I am a political conservative just because that's what anybody else I think would call me if um, I described my policies. Um, you know, really, I would say I'm like libertarian-ish or something, right? Um, but the fact that that's what everybody is going to call me um, I just go, okay, sure. Then I'm a, I'm a conservative, I guess. Um, now, if I want to uh, contrast that, I would say the opposite of that would be a kind of progressivism, which is yeah. this idea that we can ration, we have a rational idea of what utopia looks like and we have steps to get there and we can reorder society um, to have a, uh, a, perfect society. And usually that always, almost always involves creating a new man, right? A new version of humanity. Um, you found this in the, in the Soviet revolution, which was, you know, progress toward the future in the new Soviet man. You saw this in the Chinese cultural revolution. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, it was a William F. Buckley said a conservative is somebody who stands athwart culture yelling stop. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I think it's very, it's a Lindy move to say, you're not going to be able to change 
uh, people. Uh, so you need to look at what has worked in mm -hmm. the past. Um, you're not going to be able to plan um, a new society and a new man. Um, so that's my very long yeah, answer I, to your I, question. I would add, so the idea of limited government, which would be all at least in theory under some sort of conservative umbrella, especially relative to the current Democratic pro Party or progressive type movement, um, if we're going to get political, yeah, they want to do change, right? So Biden comes in and we have these massive proposals of change. And the Lindy effect says, whoa, we've had this thing more limited over time, or we shouldn't, we shouldn't think that these drastic changes might be a good thing unless we think society's really wrecked, which is, I think, also part of the pitch. I might get too complicated here, but I think I have to. <clears throat> um, I, I, I'm going to cheat here and move us to like derivatives and, you know, I'll avoid <laughs> the actual derivative talk, but I actually think at least modern political conservatism isn't very Lindy. It might be supporting things that are Lindy, but you and I both have a, a show that we watch or a commentator we listen to, Michael Malice, who like one of his coined phrases is that conservatism is just progressivism driving the speed limit. Yeah, yes. Dri that, dri that's why I at the end said relative yeah. to the other. D driving the speed limit right. is not Lindy. Yeah. Like it's not something that successfully persists over long periods of time. Uh, if you look at the 20th and 21st century, uh, it is a collection of conservatives losing battles and being unsuccessful. And so like in that sense, mm -hmm. uh, the rate of change speeding up is almost the more Lindy of the two things, if that makes sense. In other words, like the progressive movement, uh, you know, could claim like we've had 3000 years of or 2000 years of or 1000 years of how whenever, whenever they want to make the start date of progress, essentially, we've been moving in our direction for a long time. And that's the Lindy thing is that we're we've been changing the way mm -hmm. that we want to change for a long time. Now, uh, you know, that, and so that's almost why I wouldn't consider myself a political conservative, because I actually don't see it as something uh, that has been successful for a long period of time. Now, I know you were talking about conservative in a different sense. You were talking about like the real word as opposed to like the modern political movements. But in the sense of the modern political movement, I think that there's not much to be salvaged uh, because it, it is like a, a story of centuries of failure, basically. Everybody else in the English speaking world uses the word conservative at this point to just mean not progressive. It's, it's tricky, but <laughs> I, I, I understand that. But people also use conservative to mean Mitt Romney. And so that's where I, I avoid the word a little bit because like conservative does mean not progressive, but sometimes it also means like John McCain, George Bush, Mitt Romney. Uh, and that's why I am, am careful to not I identify it. With oh, yeah, I don't want to identify with it, but I, I think just kind of defining for these purposes. Until we get everyone to accept that the true meaning of conservative is that the second derivative approaches the yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, but but I think that's the, what, what I'm saying is I think that's actually the issue is that like the, the way that conservative, like all conservatives, conservatism in action, what conservatives, you know, regardless of who they are, have called themselves, you know, over the past like century, it's just like a legacy of failure. Like I, I don't want to be identified with a group that is totally uh, impotent to forward its own goals because I like, if you're not doing the thing that you say is the most important thing to do, then I'm not part of your group like that. that that's kind of my, my take on it. I feel the same way about like the Libertarian Party. It's like, 
how much liberty is the libertarian party created none okay i'm i'm off (laughs) you know take me off your list yeah uh i i'm in complete agreement with your description of uh modern conservatism and uh you know if you want to figure out what the conservative party is going to uh what policies it's going to espouse in 20 years just look at what the current progressives are espousing now right (laughs) um, yeah and so i think you're totally right about that Yeah. yeah All right. Well, that looks like a good place to wrap unless there's any final words. Yeah. I, the one final word I'll say is that we, we shouldn't go without mentioning Chesterton's fence. Is G.K. Chesterton had the famous, I don't know, it's probably not a parable, but metaphor, something, uh, some, some play that like if you see a fence and you don't know why it's there, uh, you should check to see why it's there before you tear it down and check again or something along those lines. It basically mm-hmm. like there's a reason things are where they are. Uh, and that includes throughout time and that includes cultural institutions. Uh, someone has put things there. Uh, and so if something serves a purpose, you might not understand what the purpose is, but I think what, you know, the idea of lindiness communicates is like, that doesn't mean that there's not a purpose. And in fact, we should suspect that there probably is one. Yeah. And so I wanted to give the hat tip to Chesterton. Yeah. Sounds like a good final word. Well, I'd like to thank you all for listening to the Gorton Institute's production here, uh, at Ottawa university. And we thank you all for listening. Uh, A five-star rating helps other people find us. So if you feel so inclined, please do that. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.